with a look back over the weekend sport action. This is Full Time on KCLR. Welcome along to Full Time. My name is Sinead Kyo. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be bringing you the very best of KCLR's GAA podcast, The Clash Act. Over the course of the last year, Eddie Scally has brought us some fascinating conversations from GAA sports stars from across the country, including the likes of Eddie Brennan, Kate Kelly, Sean Boylan, just to name a few. On this week's episode of Full Time, we're going to be hearing from Waterford legend Dan Shanahan. We'll also hear from Intercount referee David Gock but first one of my favourite interviews from the past year was with former Waterford manager Derek McGrath Eddie started off by asking Derek about the abuse players and management face online in the modern era Very hard Eddie to be completely honest to insulate yourself away from completely like, I'm not on any form of social media and um, when I you know I started doing a bit of writing and that kind of stuff that you know I was asked to kind of go on it but I, I didn't come off it because of any sledging or that but I first of all it's very hard to insulate yourself or isolate yourself from it and I would be would have been highly sensitive in year one and um, when you get a run and you get a few victories your confidence grows I suppose but that insecurity is always there um, in many ways and, and that, that's hard to overcome right and and you go into a dressing room right in any dressing room like a classroom or like a, a like your own workplace there you'll have people of different confidence levels you'll have people that you know they like the arm around the shoulder they like support but you also like people that like good constructive feedback that want to be challenged more and if you understand that you'll understand the mechanics of your dressing room but you'll also understand that someone reading something that's highly critical and um, you know of, of you know of themselves you know online albeit be it by kind of maybe a well-known journalist or even um you know, of someone obviously with, with kind of anonymity, if you like, I think is it can it can seep, it can permeate, and it can hurt particular people. And I actually go as far as saying people can become, you know, not depressed, but certainly down over their form in hurling, over how things are going. That hurling is such a an outlet for them. It's their life. It's everything. It's such an obsession that when they when they don't get affirmation, particularly the modern young lads, when they don't get aff- affirmation, when they don't get um you know, praise, and when they have bad days, it can it can really affect them, like, to the point where, uh, you know, to the point where, 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 you know, everything, you know, you see guys coming back to club situations from county to try and build a bit of confidence, or, or vice versa. So you go down to the club and you get some solace down the club, that's where you get your enjoyment, etc. And it's, it's a difficult road. It's a difficult road. Now, I do think that over the last two or three years, as awareness has grown and as more people who perhaps previous to that over the last five years were weren't of the opinion. People are now becoming more aware of the issues around social media misuse and, and, and the cyberbullying that can go with it. Even educationally, us in school, um, you know, we're very much aware of it and people are, are you know, they're more cognizant of it, I suppose. So it's, it's, it can be deep and it can be hurtful. And, um, and remember, go back 10 years, right? Go back 10 years. And you'd hear people saying, Asher, if you can't take that, you shouldn't be there, right? That, that was kind of the attitude, you know, of, of trying to, you know, if you're going to worry about everyone, what everyone says, you, you're, you shouldn't be there. And if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. That has changed, thankfully, to, hey, this is unacceptable, some of this stuff that's been said here. This is unacceptable. And and I think the, even in, in terms of analysis, I think there's 
I think people are more thorough in what they're doing now. They're, under, they're asking the question, why might people do this? Why might people do that? And it's a, it's a little bit more thorough. And it's, it's good to see, I think, the, the, whole, the whole element of it. The other obvious thing, Eddie, and I'm sorry for going on about this, yeah. sometimes your friends, I, I have some great mates in my own club in Dallas Island. Even though I'd be away from social media um, and I wouldn't be on it, your friend could text you and say to you, Jesus, you want to see what <laughs> you want you want to see what we said about you on on this or you know, sometimes you gotta know your friends, you gotta know your mates. You sometimes if I see a text come up from one of the lads, I know well that he's trying to, that he's telling me something was said in a paper yesterday or online yesterday and you know, is this true kind of crack? Because if I went with every rumour or innuendo that was surrounding us whilst we were involved in water, oh my god, you'd be you know, you'd be you'd be kind of you'd be after taking all types of kind of you know libel actions against the people. But that's that's the way it goes. You just and and and, and I think I think we're getting better at not accepting that as a, as groups. That when you commit, you commit to a group. Now you're committing with all your vulnerabilities and insecurities as well. Whereas before, vulnerability and insecurity were seen as a weakness. Now I think that the teams are all encompassing in terms of their their their. There are obvious deficiencies. Yeah, and it's it's just it's like it's one of the things that yeah, and you kind of are touching on it a little bit. And I know you've said about say your friend reads an article or sees something on Twitter and he sends you a text message. But you know there was an incident at the weekend, um, and I seen in a sporting context, different sport. There was a person getting obliterated. Somebody had actually went to the bottom of putting a video up of themselves obliterating somebody else. I unfortunately scrolled through it, picked it up on my newsfeed, and I was watching it. And my kid was sitting in the car beside me. I was parked, and I was sitting in the car. And I was watching it and my young lad thought the guy was talking about me and he turned around to me and said daddy why why does he hate you so much and I said no no it's not me he's on about somebody else and then I said actually do you know what I need to turn this off and now there was no bad language or anything like that but it was literally a character assassination of a person and it was for the first time it dawned on me like my kids are at an impressionable age I have a 15 year old boy I have a, a 12 or 13 year old boy and I have a 19 year old girl they you know you've kids yourself Derek and you're putting them in that place that yeah. if they're picking up Facebook or Twitter or something like that and they're looking at their daddy who they think is be under no illusions they think their daddy's the greatest man in the world uh, they'll cop on in a few years he's not but at the, at the yeah. moment while it's still safe but it's, it's isn't it horrible that that goes into your house because people are allowed to attack you without any consequences yeah and I think that's the that's the one where 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 it hurts more than anything else. Like I, I often, I, I have a fifteen-year-old boy here and an, an eight-year-old boy in two weeks. But um, if you're on now the fifteen-year-old, you know, I, I would often speak to him about about. I was at an award ceremony in fifteen, and Eamon O'Shea's Eamon O'Shea had won the July award um, for winning the Munster Championship. We'd won the I'd won the, the April award for winning the league in fifteen, and we got this. Geez, we got a great do at the end of the year, and Brian Cody and Jim Gavin and. You know Martin O'Neill and, and all those so I've seen which is a good opportunity to kind of meet some great people but Eamon O'Shea for some reason couldn't be there and his son um, accepted the award, award on his behalf Eamon's brother was there and um, Des Cal actually asked him a question he said how do you feel he said when you're in the crowd about um, you know when, when maybe things are not going well and you know there's a bit of a, there's a bit of you know abuse being hurled in the direction of your dad or the tip players and Don Lachey, who actually played played with Galway now, he played with Galway in the under twenty um, or under twenty semi final against Dublin there a couple of weeks ago. A lovely hurler from Salt Hill corner corner forward. He actually said, "Well, look," he said, "I don't mind." He said because I know how much they put into it. So I thought it was just a very rounded, um, moderated answer. And that's the thing here. You're you're just trying to tell. You almost nearly have to preempt them, Eddie. You nearly have to say to them, "Look, 
it's not going to be nice in school now tomorrow you know I, I remember going in after a fairly heavy league beating by Kilkenny in 18 it was actually we lost three league games in a row in 18 and then um, just trying to find some form after they all learned in the 17 and uh, I just said to Fionn look it's going to be heavy enough now not heavy enough but obviously the good mates but you're thinking about it then as a, as a parent you're kind of thinking Jesus, I don't want him get, getting it hard inside in school there, you know. But he look, he'd be well able, he'd be rounded enough. But there's some kids that wouldn't be, you know. You know, and 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 when it affects and when it permeates a family in terms of pressure, it's it's uh, it can be difficult, you know. No. Outside that, when you're out of the loop, like I have been for the last two years, you're kind of saying, Jesus, I kind of missed the pressure, you know. <laughs> so yeah. well, we, I think we all want the best of both worlds. Sometimes we want it when it's going well, but there's. I think perseverance is just the key to show that grit that's necessary to dig in. But putting a grit and perseverance into an eight, nine, ten-year-old that's hearing that your daddy's going to be sacked in the morning. Not that I ever heard that. I'm just making the point. You know yeah. that, that this stuff. People can be nasty. You know, at, at a certain age, um, no different. But I think education in general and schools are getting better at getting ahead of that. If you like, you know, that language that we don't accept anymore. You know, even language around life carried weight on me. Life, you'd often be saying, Jesus. We a fat fool, or you know, you know, and uh, you know it, it, the words that are used around, uh, you know, uh, you know, in, in interaction between kids are, are important. I think you know to kind of get in there early. And I look, that's just wearing me teachers hat, but that's that's the way I feel. About no, but it, but it is. It's so important. And Derek, just just kind of on the one you, the, the point that you're making as well about kids and things like that. But it's what I always say to my own young lads, and I always say to my own teams there when I'm coaching teams as well was. When I was in school and when you were in school, Derek, if you were getting annoyed in school, you were able to go home and you were able to get away from it for 10 hours or 12 hours or 14 hours and you had the comfort of your house. Nowadays, unfortunately, because of social media and all that, you go home from school and it just continues. And that's, I think, something that we need to be very careful with. And then just on the other one, when you're saying about your kids about getting sacked in the morning, I, I was reading an article yesterday in one of the papers. Uh, Gareth Southgate yesterday used to be a really good manager over England and everybody loved him. This morning he <laughs> woke up to be a very different, I don't know, something happened last night that he's uh, completely done now. But he actually said he had to bring his kids in and sit them down and say to them look I'm going to get sacked as Crystal Palace manager today and you're going yeah, to go I, to school I read that same article yesterday I read oh that my same God. article yeah. like, like yeah, yeah. it was it, you know it puts a human side to it but I mean look that's that's the, the way to do the, it the over there the only thing I say Eddie is the more, the more human stories there is out there as regards that kind of struggle you know I, I often think of Mickey Hart even I think the first four or five years as he was Tyrone manager minor manager I don't think they won a first round you think of Pat Riley, the famous coach the American coach where you know, if you're putting in place the right things and you're doing the right behaviours and uh, people are starting to measure success differently. And, and sometimes when you say that, people say, oh, that's just defeatist and he'll never win a trophy. But I think people are, are... Good leadership should percolate its way down over the years. It should... If you put good values and cultures, they'll come out later on. And if you're in it for delayed gratitude, you're in it for the wrong reasons. So, but, but if you're doing things right, no matter what the group you're with... Um, you look at Cody for instance 99 losing the you know the against Cork you know I can't remember like, but there was probably pressure emanating its way in Kilkenny as regards oh, we, should, we lost in 98 we lost in 99 you know where, 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 where are we going to go in 2000 and then that pressure eases then on the back of a, of, of a really good All-Ireland victory then in 2000 but you know just the point I'm making I suppose is that um, sometimes we can live in the present and not look back for the solutions as well 
Yeah, I really love that interview with Derek McGrath. I think it really kind of gives an insight as well into the complexities of inter-county management, um, especially in the modern era. Now we're going to take ourselves a quick break. Coming up in part two, we're going to speak to a man with a very close connection to the Bennis Bridge hurling setup. With the latest from on and off the pitch, this is Full Time on KCLR. Now, moving on from one Waterford man to another, we're now going to hear from Dan Shanahan, where he gives us an insight into what it's really like to hurl under Davy Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah. Again, Davy brought something that, that another another level of professionalism. Like, you know, to be honest, I've, I've always bought towels and training gear to, to um, training. Eddie, when Davy came in, our gear was, was in the dressing room, our towels were already in the dressing room. When we went training, every night training, that, like, that for me, I never, I've never, I've never done. Still doing. When David he did that, if you know what I'm saying, he bought another. But he bought. We weren't fit at the time. Uh, he bought a level of fitness again, like you know, uh, to, to to training. He bought his way. He two good men with him in Morris Geary and Peter Queeley, two respected lads, like you know. And he bought his. He he laid his terms on. And of course, you're going to get a response when when players do this, like you know, that you're going to have to get a response. And look. Davey's a fantastic coach and a fantastic manager and I think it was a, it was a, it was a good situation with Davey because if we didn't go well he could have blamed all, us for the decision we made and if we went well he was the man that took us to the All-Ireland final if you know what I'm saying so he couldn't lose if you know what I'm saying JD that's, that's the bottom line he couldn't lose whether we won, or, won the All-Ireland or didn't win it he came in he brought us another level of professionalism into, into water for holding and we, we kind of performed okay that year we got to the Ireland final like we didn't perform that year like you know but it was just the way he, he brought up to another level if, if you know what I'm saying yeah and like that season I know like I know it sounds strange that you got to an All-Ireland final in 2008 but I thought you performed way better in 2007 without getting to an All-Ireland final 100% yeah um, but in 2008 you did you did still manage to, to get to that All-Ireland final I was at at the game myself and there was a great buzz and excitement about it um, going there but you, you just you know you just didn't turn up on the day in the final was it a case of a mixture of both maybe Waterford just a little bit nervous a bit fresh first, first All-Ireland final in a long time and then meeting what was probably the strongest Kilkenny team ever right on their day I think that was literally the peak of that Kilkenny team definitely you know, we got it wrong ourselves as players but I think the management got it wrong too um, you know trying try to instruct different players to upset different Kilkenny players you know and it didn't work you know you just said it there we played the best team probably one of the best the best Kilkenny team ever to put on jersey like you know and when you go trying to hit Eddie Brennan he goes away and gets two goals for doing it like you know it doesn't work you know um but look, that's the way it was. I, don't, I have no doubt we learned from it. Day we learned from it. To get to the All-Ireland was fantastic for, for for a player to play. But we didn't turn up that day. So we didn't. And when you don't turn up against Kilkenny, you, you, the floodgates are open. They did it to the previous, the previous year as well in 0-7. They did it us in 0 eight, You know, and you have to, whatever, whatever. At the time, that's why you said earlier, Eddie, Justin, if we got there, what would he do? You know, in 0-7, we won the league against Kilkenny and told us, would have been interesting, but it wasn't to be. And look, I, I can't, I'm not going to point the finger at Davy Fitz and say he got it wrong. We got it wrong as a, as a management and players on the day, and we just made an awesome Kilkenny team that, that rolled over us, like you know. And look, I'm from West Waterford, I suppose. Um, it, it is really hard for the city lads, to, especially with South, it's with Kilkenny and South they're Kilkenny, so close, they're yeah. down there, they're the rivalry compared to, to be where I come from, be Cork and Waterford, where down the down the city to be Kilkenny, and it was hard to take. But look, 
it, it was what it was. We did, we did our best. We made a massive team, and, and they, they, they hammered us. Simple as that. Yeah, no, no, it, it is, and, uh, and I mean that's that that has happened to, to to a lot of teams that came up against Kilkenny. That you know, if you're not at the pin, you're at, at at your absolute peak, you're you're in trouble because at that time they were they were they were superb. But I just want to kind of press it on. Like you you retired a couple of years later, um, and. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I, I'm being selfish, and, and, and lots of water for people that I know. We, we all kind of felt that there was more, more in it. Was it, was it a case of that you felt? There's no, there's no way you'd be able to tell me that you didn't feel you had more in the body to go for another period of time because I, I know that that wouldn't be the case. But was it a case that you felt that that the management no longer kind of felt that there was a place for Dan Shannon there, and you just said, look, you know, t- now's the time to, to to retire, or how how did that process come about? Look, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't getting much game time, Eddie. I think in zero weight, Eddie, um, <clears throat> I didn't have the best year. But yet against Wexford in the quarter final, we were struggling. I happened to get 1-1 one, one or 1-2 one, in the game. We won the game. Like, you know, um, didn't get much game time again in 0-9 with Davey and his management team. And, and I have to admit, you know, Eddie, that Davey bought it like he is now. He, he was bringing his game, his terms, his way to play in different games that um, the running game and maybe I was coming to the end of my career and I was coming to the end of my career but could I have kept going if it wasn't a place for Dan Shannon it definitely was at the time um, there was a lot of the games that Galway in 0-9 above and Tullis stands out again losing by 4 points and I'm not, and I'm not being big headed here bring on well, Dan Shannon we won the game by a point yeah. so there was a lot of games that I, I took Davy out of holes to Munster final in 10 getting no game time again in, in, in the drawn game very late in game time Milan gets injured in, in the extra time in the extra time in, in the replay on the lights um, in Tullus and Dan Shannon pops up with a goal so there was a there was a lot of, there was a there was a, there was a lot of things that I, I didn't agree with David I thought I was good enough to start a few games he didn't think so um, I thought I was good enough I trained hard so I did, but there was there was a lot of times that I, I took Davy out of the hole too in, in some of the games. But but as a senior player, Dan, at the time, like I I know with my own club that that I'm that I'm managing at the moment, there's senior players on my team, and if I if I don't start them and they feel they should be starting, or if I bring them on in a game and they clatter in a goal and point and and you know to, to use the pun they got me out of a hole, the, the next day. If I'm not starting them, they'll they'll walk up to me and they'll they'll pull me aside and they'll say, "Listen, what's the story here? Like, do you know what what do you want from me? What you know is th- did I do yeah. something to you? Like, I mean, you yeah. you must have had these conversations, did I you? Did. I, I, I can blame Eddie. I, I put a call Davy aside when I blow blow in Welsh Park, you know, and I asked him what I, what do I have to do? What what I've done? I've done everything you asked me to do. When we we played Tipperary in a, in a challenge game previous week, or open Torres, I scored one three the same night. And I would have asked him straight up, Davy, what do I have to do to get on the team? And he'd never, he'd never answer me. He'd, he'd always, you know, we, we had our little words and that was it. You know, you must think of the team, you must think of the team. There was no better man that ever taught a team only Dan Shannon, I can assure you that. And Dan Shannon never taught Dan Shannon in his plane. It was always about the team. And I just felt I wasn't part of his plans. Um, I was coming to the end anyway, Eddie, to be honest with you, but I knew I had something to offer. Well, I didn't think Davy thought I was I was in his plans, like you know. So I made that decision. I didn't want Davy. I'm not against Davy. I'm yeah. not against him. He's a great coach. I'm just seeing it the way the way I see it, the way I was treated. It wasn't with 100 percent respect. I, I, I should have got the service I gave Waterford over the years. I don't think he gave me, he gave me that respect. But again, I have to look at too that he was going to bring his game 
the, the, the way he wanted to play it you know and, and I would have had conversation with Davey and it wasn't nice sometimes but that was life that's the way it went you know I, I was never a man to say like I take it and I sit down and say nothing you know I called him beside my eyes with, with a few words he would then hate the boys after after I having a few words he was thinking of the team this he was thinking of the team that no individuals here I knew he was having to dig at me you know I'm not stupid but it was just something that I knew my time was coming to an end with David like you know but I enjoyed his training um, I enjoyed what he did for Waterford we, we, won, we won once in 10 we haven't won it since you know he bought us an Ireland final in 8 you know so there was not a productive and not a lads became great horrors under David as well like you know but um, we just didn't get on it we just didn't get on like you know and that's, no. that's the bottom line no but the, 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 there's two there's two questions that I just kind of want to put to you um, Dan like one of them the, f- the following year, the year after you retired, like, you know, you, there was a... Waterford went out and, uh, and were absolutely pulverised. Seven, I think it was seven, seven eighteen or seven nineteen to 19 points um, yep. by Tipperary. And yep. at the time, because Waterford were playing with a sweeper system and the whole lot, I mean, you, you know, there was... There was any, there was an ample opportunity for the whole country to dive on and destroy, um, you know what what it, what it, what, it, what it went on in the field, but they didn't. They, you know, it, I think it was there was might have been a couple of rumblings and a couple of suggestions that maybe the setup wasn't the way it should be. But you know, at the time for you, you took your first year like that's your first year out retired. So you're now gone from being the main man to being a, a fan, which I've no doubt you were, and I guarantee you were shouting for Waterford and wanting yeah. to win. Like that must have been hard to stomach that day watching that game yeah it was of course and I was on the line that day if I can remember um, Eddie doing a bit of interview with with, with, um, with RTE and it was tough to take it was tough to take but um, you know it, it was it's so hard Eddie when you retire um, what do you do the year after it's so tough you're such a routine I was used to going three four nights a week whether it's just gym work or whether it's the field I was so used to it you know you're going back to your club with respect to your club the intensity is not up there the quality is not up there you know, so it's a big step and you have to go back to your club and give up your inter-county career. But it come, there comes a time when you just have to say, look, Dan, you, you, you've done enough. Could I have went on it? You're damn right I could have played on. I know I could have played on because the science would have changed. If you know what I'm saying to you, there's a way you could have trained yourself better than, than killing yourself and taking time off or recovering better, that kind of stuff, etc. But um, I made that decision in 10, like, you know, I, I don't think I was going to feature in 11 much. And... Um, I, I was delighted with that decision and of course I was disappointed with the way the lads were playing and stuff like that but look as I said you, you said something about Kilkenny there in 2008 no better team than Tipperary too with the car but still they get half a chance and they sniff goals they're going to give that extra pass for the goal and, and they buried us that day and when you were doing the stuff with RTE because like, like I've spoken to a few players about this and it's it is very hard. Like, I mean, um, I, I, I was, I, I seen one of the Sligo players coming out the following year. I th- I'm going to say it was Eamon O'Hara. I think it. I hope I'm not wrong now. I'm blaming the wrong player, and I'm not blaming. But Eamon was brought on as a pundit on the Sunday game, the year he retired, and yeah. um, Kevin Walsh was managing Sligo at the time, and Sligo were beaten, and then it went back to the studio where they absolutely minced Kevin Walsh and I remember watching it at the time thinking Jesus Christ you know <laughs> yeah. what, what are they thinking here like their scores getting settled there live on the Sunday game you know yeah, yeah. but yeah. but for you when you see a, a, a humbling defeat like that you know in your own head you're thinking you know I can decapitate a man here now if I want to but at the same time you're looking out there and you're seeing 18 and 19 of your own players colleagues lads that you've been working with for the last 9 and 10 years and you know 
that's you know it must be a very hard one to to kind of choose your words if you know what I mean or how you how you analyse that performance that day yeah 100% Eddie and, and, and well, what the ball in my court to, to criticise Davey and his tactics of course it was but I wouldn't do that I, I, I couldn't do it to the players that I've played with over the years if I've been honest with you I was always a players man and I still am and I couldn't I couldn't criticise the players that, that put on any jersey because they, they, they didn't go that day to get that result or over the years to get beaten by that much it just happens on the day like you know and some things work some things don't work you know like you know Davies won Leinster with Wexford uh, two, two or three weeks previous that he was being criticised blowing Wexford two weeks later he wins Leinster he's, he's a hero do you know so some days it works some days it doesn't work and it's hard to be standing on the sideline there and and senior team that you, you would have soldiered with for years and years being hammered by, by by opponents but you just have to soak it up park it straight away please God they get their quarter for and push it on after that keep it positive keep it positive but I would never ever go on on even and in this conversation I'm not, I'm not criticising David no, or tactics or anything like that like, you know, I'm just seeing it from my point of view I would never go on radio or television and do what whoever did what they did above in the studios and do that to manager because they're doing their best as well let's be honest about it yeah, that's Dan Shanahan there, Dan the man. I have to say, every time I hear him interviewed or when I see him on TV when he was involved with uh, the, the Waterford team as a selector, I always just think, God, what a shame that he never won an All-Ireland medal. Um, I had so much admiration for that Waterford team. I think it was just, I suppose it just happened that way that they they were around at the same time as uh, that Kilkenny team, really, when they were at their at their peak. Um, but yeah, I think of him, I think of Ken McGrath, I think of John John Milan, uh, he would have been a hero of mine when I was growing up as well. But yeah, great interview there from uh, Dan Shanahan. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and coming up in part three, we'll be speaking to GAA Intercounty Ref David Goff. Keeping you in the game and in the know, full time on KCLR. Now, the next interview that we have coming up, I would implore anyone, even if you aren't interested in sport, to stay tuned uh, for this next conversation with mead man David Gock. David Gock is the first inter-county referee to come out as gay. Uh, David tells Eddie about the struggles of coming out and how he has been accepted by the GAA community. It definitely in 2011, before I told my family, yes, I had spent four years coming to terms with it and trying to find who I was as a person. And I always say, you know, I had been layered as a, as a person by being involved with the Catholic Church, the primary school, secondary school system, my Catholic Irish family uh, and the GAA. And I fitted into a box in each one of those and everybody had a vision of me and, and had a vision of who I was. And I ended up being everyone else's vision of what I was supposed to be instead of being who I was as a person. When you strip back those layers, and I spent four years trying to get rid of the shackles of those, and and to think that at their very core, the Catholic Church, the education system, because I would have been teaching illegally in a primary school, um, the, the my family who was traditionally Catholic, and um, the GA all had either a dislike for or a hatred in, in, in the case of the Catholic Church for um, people who were who are gay. So coming to terms with that, with all your supports that you once had, and you realise, Jesus, if I come out, 
how am I going to exist with all these supports? What's going to happen? Um, who am I going to rely on? And, and it's frightening to do that. And also it's frightening to look at yourself and wonder, well, who am I going to be? And am I going to like the person that I'm actually meant to be? And, and it takes time to come to come on that journey. And it was terrifying. It was stressful. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of heartache. Um, but by God, as soon as, as, as that Sunday evening finished in 2011, my life changed. The stress went. The anxiety went, the happiness came back. As my parents said, you're back to the person you were, you know, seven or eight years ago. They knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what. And um, it's just my life has completely changed as a result, positively. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you um, if, it, if it wasn't such a positive experience. And because uh, it's something I, I did wonder, like, a lot of these fears that, that, that you had at the time, you know, and I can only speak from, as I remember as a young lad growing up, different things that I might have felt I made a mistake or the old saying, oh, your parents are going to kill you, you know. Thankfully, none of us were ever killed by our parents. Or yeah. talk. But the fears that you would have built up, the, the worries, you created these in, in your head, playing out the worst case scenarios of what will happen here. And over time, this must have become unbearable. And I just wonder, when you actually came out did any of these fears actually materialise? Were these fears that you'd actually built up yourself that people wouldn't be accepting when they're far more accepting than you thought? Um, I, I could be honest and say only one. I lost one friend who didn't accept it. And, and I'm okay with that because if he wasn't okay with me, well, well, that's fine. But I mean, the volume of friends, support, community, um, positive things that I have uh, I've received since 2011 is incredible. I never thought I was ever going to receive the, the support, nothing negative. And I, I'm standing here now, or sitting here now, saying in, in, in 2021, it was probably the best decision I ever made in my life. And I would urge anyone that's struggling with their sexuality not to be afraid, not to go through the same stresses and anxieties, worrying about whether people will accept them or not. You will be accepted. Pick up the phone line, speak to the anonymous headlines in belong to or, or LGBT Ireland or Tenny, whichever one you, you, you pertain to and have the chat with them and let them help you with your coming out story because it's it's only going to make your life better. And, and in the dressing room scenario, David, as well, like for yourself, because you were playing football with a club team at home in Mead at the time, you know, I, I remember reading about the Welsh rugby player and he said it was always his biggest fear was the reaction in that dressing room because you know yourself that the dressing room is not the place to be have any I don't know what the word I'm looking for is but you definitely don't want to be going into a dressing room tender because you could come out of it no. in two halves yeah, and we, we spoke about that I met Gareth uh, in 2019 Gareth Thomas when we launched the, the Union Cup um, with the Emerald Warriors here in, in Ireland I missed actually Nigel Owens that weekend which was hugely disappointing but I spoke to Gareth about it and we both felt the same about the dressing room and what sort of an intimidating atmosphere that exists in there you, you only have to look back and I, I've said this before at the rugby rape trial and the type of language that's used in WhatsApp groups. And if you're a young um, man, and I'm going to say specifically here, men, because women don't have this. No. Women don't have this issue coming out in, in, in their dressing rooms. And I really think the GPA is going to learn a lot from the WGPA now that they're together. But the type of culture that exists inside the dressing room, and you've just said it, you would not want to be tender in there. So every time I'm in the dressing room and I hear a joke, and it's a gay joke, or the word faggot is used, or queer, in a derogatory term, and it's not funny, it's actually meant to insult, well, like I've called it the pejorative use of, of homophobic language. 
I really don't think the people who are saying it understand the negative impact it could have on their teammates who they might not know who's, what their sexuality is. They might not be homophobic, you know, but they've learned to use language that is homophobic and then it creates the culture then that where I feel, Jesus, I can't come out. And like my teammates in Slane were brilliant when I came out. They probably were too conscious of me after a, a couple of weeks then they got used to what they could say and what was acceptable and what banter was and, and you know what was genuinely funny. But for years before that, I'm sitting there and every time you hear it, it chips away at your confidence and you say, how can I tell these guys I'm going to have to stop playing sport or if I want to be who, who I am because I can't exist in this type of environment. Yeah, it's 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 mad because like obviously I haven't I haven't had that experience in my life. But but I've kids and I've young kids and I and I you know, I constantly tell my kids I love you and you know, I constantly also tell them I'm going to kill them and all that other stuff happens too. It's yeah. not some big hippie happy family. But I always tell them, you know, like I'm proud of you, you go and do what you want to do and, and live your life and all that. But when I'm when I'm training the team that I'm involved with at the moment, I do listen to the language sometimes in in, in the dressing room and I am subconsciously and I and I genuinely mean this, I am always conscious of the fact that I listen to the tone of what they're saying and stuff like that and I'm thinking this mightn't be the right environment you know and, and I do pull them up on it sometimes and say listen guys I don't know if that's the type of language I want to hear in the dressing room or if that's the way we should be speaking to each other for the very reason that if I have a player that's going through what David Goff was going through 10 or 11 years ago I, I want them I want a family feeling in my dressing room I want my players to feel that at any stage whether it's wanting to come out or, or, or yeah, it could be anything at home in the house that's bothering them it could be anything that's happening in their own family life I want them to be able to feel safe to come to anybody in our dressing room and talk to them but your experience to me tells me that your fears again in the dressing room it was positive the outcome of, 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 of being brave enough to come forward and talk yeah, and I think that's all it needs to be is is to having the courage to take that step and giving these people the opportunity to support you because I think for the most part they will. They don't really care about your sexuality. They're your friends. They're your teammates. They want. They're there because they want to play football with you, you know. And and as once your sexuality doesn't come into play there, well then there's no issue. How many young people? And I, I I don't know how many times, you know, I hear about a young man committing suicide in Ireland, and I my first gut instinct always is. Did he struggle with something? And it doesn't have to be sexuality, but because the environment wasn't right for him, he wasn't able to exist. I know so many people who have contacted me saying that their brothers, their sons, their partners have committed suicide, who were GAA players because they could not come out to their teammates. So the question is, what type of environment is there? Why do we, as the 10% of the population, not feel comfortable either coming out as openly gay or staying within sport, particularly team sports, because what you'll find is most gay men will drop out of it because they can't exist as themselves in that team environment. Like, it's 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 a scary thing that 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 you are bringing forward. Now, I have to say, David, and I don't mean this to. I'm not going to put you on a big pedestal and carry you through Kilkenny and we'll all cheer. But it was a brave thing for you to do. It's in a high-profile role. It shouldn't. I shouldn't be saying to you it's a brave thing to do. It wasn't a brave thing for me to go home and tell my parents I was getting married. You know, it's. It's it. This it, society should have moved on from that, but it was a brave thing for you to do in a high-profile position that you are now. I think you're helping lots of people. 
in that, and I and I know that you've you've said this before, and that you've known you, you know people have died by suicide as a result of fears of different things, whether it's coming out about it or whether it's you know like the stigmas with lots of things in in in, in Ireland. The stigma is still around depression. There's stigma is still around people that you know feel they're inadequate in any way, and and it's like what do how do we how do we stop that? How do we you know how do we progress that? How do we not have it in five years time that you and I are talking and we're reading well, about someone? First of all, we're six years down the line from when I, when I when I um, came out publicly. I had kind of the private public private coming out and the public coming out. But we're six years down the line. Nobody else has taken the opportunity, right? Why? Why? And, and, and you're asking how do we stop it? Well, you know, there's two ways. We we stop it through visibility. That's why the like of Pride Month is so important. The like of this campaign I'm involved in with, with Super Value, the Bring It On, showing diversity and inclusion within the GAA. And they've committed to try to increase visibility by 30% by 2025 of people from diverse and inclusive backgrounds being involved in the GAA. So we need that. We need visibility. We need openly gay men, or gay men coming out open within elite sports so that young people can see, well, Jesus, if he can do it, I can do it. And, and, and there's no issue. There is also the other side which nobody talks about. They talk about the 10% coming out and living their true life and being themselves. What about the 90%? What about the 90% of straight men that are playing elite sports? What type of environment have they created in the dressing room that stops me being from who I am? Where did they show their support as allies? And, and, and they're great. They just need to be given the opportunities like Mayo and Tipperary wearing rainbow laces last year. It's no good David Goff wearing the rainbow laces. Everybody knows David Goff will wear rainbow laces. Seeing Aidan O'Shea and Killian O'Connor wearing rainbow laces, that's special to young people. And we see this week all around the Camogie Association and the LGFA, teams coming out, putting on the rainbow laces, holding their pride flag as out lesbian women and straight women that play together, challenging another county to do the same. We have not seen one inter-county team, 64, 32 football, 32 hurling, doing anything to promote LGBT issues within their own GPA. There's the question that needs to be asked. Why not? What are they so afraid of? And why won't they show their support? Or why have they not been given the opportunities? Yeah, really powerful interview there with David Gock. And, you know, he thankfully had a positive experience of of coming out. But, you know, as we all know, that's not always the case for everyone uh, within the LGBTQ community. And I think, you know, he really highlighted there in his interview as well that, you know, there has been a lot done, but a lot more to do, I think, when it comes to creating a safe and welcoming atmosphere for everyone uh, that takes part in our games. Now, sadly, we've come to the end of the show, but you can catch me back here, same time, same place, next week for the very best of the Clash Act. I've been Sinead Kyo, and this has been Full Time. I'll chat to you again next week. Keeping you in the game and in the know. Full Time on KCLR.